Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you are new with us, we love it that you're here. As Dave mentioned, we'd love for you to follow along in the Bible with us. There should be one on a chair near you. You can look at the screen, download an app on your phone. It's really important to us as Phoenix Bible Church that you don't just listen to my words, right? You listen to God's words, and we want you to see those for yourself, especially as we talk about something like marriage. Before we get into that in Ephesians and Glorious Grace, this series that we're nearing the end of, we have a few more weeks in, uh, we were going to do a financial update as we started the service and talk about where we are financially as a church, where we need to be. It's coming up upon the end of the year. It's the end of our, our budget year as a church. We're behind budget, uh, just to be honest with you. And so if you've ever thought about giving, this is the perfect time to start so we can plan for next year and not have to make any cuts and things like that. And so we'll talk about that next week. But as I prayed through and thought through this week specifically in our country, I thought we, we don't need to do that today. Uh, there's some other things that we need to talk about during this time before we get in our sermon. And, and really it's this week of division that we've had. Like unless you went to the Caribbean a long time ago or on a cruise that just lasted a really long time, like you know We've had a week of division, a season of division. And that as, as Christians, as our church specifically, we don't talk politics. Like, I didn't tell anybody who to vote for. We're not going to do that today, right? That's not going to happen. If you're new, you're wondering, like, what kind of church is this? We don't, we don't do that. But we do talk a lot about engaging culture. Remember, if you've been around for any length of time, we're in the heart of our city specifically. And so we talk a lot about that, that we don't want to immerse in culture. It'd be very easy for us to do in the heart of our city. We don't want to immerse in culture and just be like the rest of culture and think, well, it's going there anyway. Anyway, we might as well join them. But we also don't want to go over here and separate from culture and form a holy huddle. No, we don't want to do either one of those things. We want to engage culture with truth and love. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And so we take our cues from Jesus. If you say, I follow Jesus, I've placed my faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you are first a follower of Jesus. And so we want to engage with truth and love, and we have the opportunity, uniquely so, in this community, in this city, in this season, in our nation, to do that as a church. So we need to talk about, what does that look like? Because listen, before you're ever a Republican or a Democrat, before you're ever an American, you are a follower of Jesus. You're a citizen of his kingdom. And so we need to have that conversation of what this looks like. And so as we've experienced this week, this season of division, yesterday we experienced the opposite. Some of you were out there yesterday in our, our backyard, essentially, of this school that we meet in, Verde Park. A big group of people gathered together to serve our city, to declare and demonstrate the gospel to our city in tangible ways. And some of you were there for that. And as I showed up for that at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning, what I saw and what I heard from, the people I heard from were from different nationalities, different ethnicities, different personalities, different political parties. I'm assuming, like we didn't ask them to check a box when they came in, but I'm assuming they had different views of what just happened in our presidential election. But what I saw as I walked up was all these different diverse people gathered together for one purpose, to make much of Jesus in the city and to unite around that, to unite around love and service and engaging truth, engaging culture with truth and, and love that we need to see more of that. And I just want to walk you through a, a biblical response. Maybe you're wrestling with, what do we do, Tim? I mean, do we, do we protest? Do we rejoice? Do we, what, what, do we, what do we do in, in this time? How do we respond as Christians? Here's some ways straight from the Bible that we need to respond. First, this, that we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. That right now there's a lot of people that are excited and, and we, we rejoice with them. We try to understand why they're rejoicing. Maybe some of you are in here and you're like, what, what divide? Like, this is amazing. What divide? And, and, and that's okay. You need to rejoice with those who rejoice, but you also need to weep with those who weep. That, that some people in this time are living fearful lives. Some people in this time are, are very hurt and in pain. And listen, as Christians, what we don't do is ask people to validate that. Like, ask people, can you explain a little bit more? Can you logically persuade me why you were hurt? No, we don't do that first. First, we weep with them, right? Because we follow 
God because we believe what the Bible says. The second thing we do is we, we love our neighbor despite our differences, not just the ones we like. Right? We love our neighbor even when we're different. We're gracious, not gloating when we disagree. We point people to the king of the universe, no matter who is president of our nation. And lastly, we pray. We pray specifically for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2 says this, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet and godly life, dignified in every way. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Father who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What if we rose as the church, Big C Church, our church here in Phoenix, what if we rose as Christians above the chatter, above the divide, and united to give God glory, to bring us joy? What if we walked in some of these ways? What if what you were thinking about was not how I should give this jab on Facebook, but what if you were wrestling with as a family, as roommates, as friends, how can I do all this? Because I don't know if you've tried to do this, but it's hard, right? It's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's hard to weep with those who weep. It's hard to love people different than you. We don't have that figured out yet. Let's, let's wrestle with that. What if we did? This, this passage in 1 Timothy 2 talks about, it paints this picture of all people coming to the knowledge of the truth. That if we lived that way as a church, we walked in love, like we talked about last week, we would change the world. Why? Because nobody loves like this. Nobody responds to division like this, but the church does. A follower of Jesus does. What if, what if we did this morning? So I would encourage you to take some steps, to wrestle through that, to ask questions like, what does that look like for us? And lastly, we're going to take some time to pray. That's what we're called to do, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our nation. And specifically, we just celebrated Veterans Day on Friday, and so I want to pray for our military as well in that, all the people who have served and sacrificed. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray briefly before we get into the sermon. So I'm going to ask, if you have ever served in the military or are serving now, would you go ahead and stand with me? Go ahead and stand. There you go. Yeah, you can clap. If you have a family member who's currently serving in the military, would you stand as well? Yeah, you can clap for those guys. Let's honor them and thank them for our service. Uh, and then if you guys would just remain standing, we're going to pray for you uh, and pray for our nation during this time. Let's do that together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are a God who doesn't sleep or slumber that you are fully aware of everything that's going on in our nation and everything that's going on in our world. And maybe sometimes we wonder that, but you don't. You know exactly what's going on. You're in control and you're leading this whole process and you have an eternal purpose that we may not always see. And even when we divide, you give us plenty of reason to unite. That you sent your son Jesus to live, die, and resurrect for all the political parties for all the ethnicities, for all the nationalities that you sent Jesus to break down all those walls and to unite in something greater in the salvation of God. And so, God, we celebrate that this morning in this room. We celebrate that with, with millions of other people across the globe. And I pray in this moment, in this season, that we wouldn't miss the opportunity to shine a light in the darkness as Christians. To, to disagree where we disagree, but to ultimately unify around the blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of the church. And God, I pray as these men and women are standing right now that have served sacrificially, they've led in a sacrificial way. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. I thank you that they have done that for our country, that we have freedoms today, that we can gather and sing and worship you because of their service. God, I pray that you would bless their families. I pray that you would encourage them to know that it matters. What they do matters and that we honor them and appreciate them in this moment. Father, I pray that you would help us as we get into the book of Ephesians, that you would soften our hearts, that you would stir our hearts to worship you and to live for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, you can take a seat.
Well, as we do transition to Ephesians, if you're new with us, just joining in, the series is called Glorious Grace. What we've been talking about is our identity that's been transformed by the glorious grace of God. That doesn't stay there, that it leads to a new activity. It's an identity that transforms our activity. And what we've been getting into and what we're into these three weeks is some specific ways that our activity shows up to honor God and show this glorious grace that we've received in Jesus. And, and last week we talked about one of those ways, it's sex. If you missed that, you can go grab the podcast or listen online. Today we're going to talk about marriage. Next week is parenting, and, and we have some resources available for you guys. Each week we have, we have a different book that we're offering in the lobby uh, to make available to you. Today is Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. Uh, this was the most influential book for me in, in regards to marriage. My wife and I read it before marriage, and it just blew open um, what really God intended for marriage. And so I would encourage you to pick one of those up in the lobby. Tonight, we're doing PBCPM and talking about dating. We're doing a love and dating conference that we're tapping into uh, tonight for PBCPM. And so if you're single, first you need to know this. Don't check out now. All right, don't start playing words with friends or Pokemon Go or whatever you kids do these days. Uh, you need to focus in because odds are at some point you want to be married. And Paul is going to paint a picture that marriage isn't even about just us horizontally. It's about us vertically that paints a picture of Christ and the church. And so maybe even if you ha have been divorced, if you have a, a hard marriage and you're thinking you want to tune out as well, you need to know that you, you shouldn't. That marriage is a picture of Christ and the church that every one of us to a man and woman in this room should care about, about marriage. And so singles will address you more directly tonight. We'll address all of us as we get into this concept of marriage. And, and I know as we do that, there are some marriages in an incredibly strong and joyful place this morning. Like some of you walked in here, you were holding hands, you were smiling. Right now you're, you're cuddling up to your wife and, and, and just you're happy, you're excited to talk about marriage. But I know that a lot of us, we walk in, we're in an incredibly difficult and broken place with our marriage. And maybe you didn't realize this was the topic, and if you did, you wouldn't have, have come, if you're honest. So I know all of those people exist in this room, and you need to know, no matter where you are, is that no marriage is beyond the glorious grace of Jesus, that he restores, that he redeems, that he renews, and he's going to do that for you this morning. And so you need to soften your heart, listen with your with your mind, with your heart and, and emotions, and, and allow Jesus to shape you during this time as we talk about marriage. The only way for that to happen is for us to look at marriage as the way God designed it. Some of you are going to be tempted as you hear certain things and certain words. You're going to push back and say, well, Tim, I don't really like that. I don't know if I agree with that. And listen, it's not about whether you agree with it because you didn't design marriage. God did. And so the only way for us to be transformed and see the hope and the glorious grace of God through marriage, is to look at his design and his word. So that's what we're going to do. Look at it with me, verse 22 in chapter 5. It starts off, gangbusters. Wives, submit to your husbands. It repeats that, verse 24. Wives should submit in everything to your husbands. Now, wives, I know, ladies, I know this is taped on your mirror at home. It's, it's on your dash. Your husband bought you a plaque. With this inscription, as you, as you walk through your house, you see it, and you meditate on this. You, you have these verses memorized, right, ladies? You just love these verses. Listen, I know that there's some serious distortions and misconceptions when it comes to submission. Right? Even as I say that, some of you are like, ah, got the cold sweats, right? Like, are we really going to talk about submission? All of us don't like this concept, but there's a few things you need to know. And, and the first thing is this. That we believe the Bible teaches that, that husband and wife are different in role, but equal in value. They're made in God's image, Genesis 1 tells us. They're fellow heirs of the grace of life, 1 Peter 3 tells us. Ephesians 5, 1, uh, 5.21, we just read it, says to submit to one another. That submission is a good thing. We see that in Jesus. That Jesus gladly submitted to the Father. That as we look at women in the Bible... Submission doesn't mean you don't have influence. Submission doesn't mean you're not strong. You just look at women like Ruth and Esther and Lydia and Mary. You look at Proverbs 31. Women, go read that. 
That's describing a strong, influential woman. And listen, you need to know, that doesn't combat submission. Right? Those things are woven together for God, and they can be woven together for you. John Piper, who literally wrote the book on biblical manhood and womanhood, called Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, right, go pick it up. Uh, he believes in submission and leading in marriage, so that's the viewpoint that he's coming from. And he said this, and I just thought it was really good. I wanted to share it with you. He said, submission does not mean, and he went through a lot of stuff. I'm just going to give you four. He said, submission does not mean agreeing on everything. Submission doesn't mean you agree with everything your husband says. You voice your opinion. You think through things. If you've been in a church, if you've heard in our culture, like, well, no, 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 you just stay, you don't say anything, you don't have an opinion, that's not biblical submission, right? And so it doesn't mean you agree with everything, specifically if it's sin. That why do you ultimately submit to God? That if your husband's inviting you into a scam, sexual sin, abuse, that you don't submit to that that you ultimately submit to God, that, that we could say it this way, that ultimately if a man is calling you to sin, you don't do that. You submit to God. And so in any situation, so maybe you, you've been involved in abuse, and maybe you just thought, well, the Bible says submit. I mean, I can't say anything about this. I can't report that. You need to know that is false. That's a lie from the enemy, that you come to me, you come to somebody else who brought you, and then we we, we voice that to the authorities. We don't submit to sin. We submit ultimately to God. And so you, you don't just agree on everything. The second thing is you don't, uh, it doesn't mean that you don't influence your husband. So it doesn't mean that you don't have an influence uh, to your husband, that you pray for your husband, that you point your husband to truth, that when your husband is in sin, that you don't just say, well, I guess he's the leader, I just let that go. No, you, you point him to truth. You challenge him with scripture and accountability. So you have influence. It doesn't mean that your hope or strength is primarily in your husband. Listen, that's, that's the way we get off, isn't it? That we look just for a, a better spouse instead of a perfect savior. And we just feel like our identity is wrapped up in our, in our man, and, and it doesn't work that way because he's, he's not perfect. But you have a perfect Savior. That's your identity. That's where you get your hope and your, your strength. You don't find that in your husband. The last thing, that it doesn't mean that you live in fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit, uh, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so those are some things it's not. So what is it then? That word uh, submit literally means to place yourself under. It's the idea of yielding to another. Piper also defined it. He said it's honoring and affirming husband's, a husband's leadership. Uh, we gave a definition. We went through this in our first Peter series that submission is setting aside our authority to come up under authority to show God as ultimate authority. That you are voluntarily yielding to another to show ultimately my trust and hope is in God. And that the way God designed that can be a beautiful thing because God set it up this way. God created these roles. And when we respond to that, it leads to human flourishing. It leads to a flourishing marriage, that it can be a blessing, not a, a burden. That it points to Jesus. Paul, over and over in these few verses and in the rest of this passage, is going to talk about this is bigger than you. This is painting a picture of Jesus and the church, the church as the bride of Christ and how they interact with one another. And so you're, you're painting that picture, and it can be a, a beautiful thing. And so, listen, my wife is going to come up later. We're going to talk more about what this looks like practically. But, wives, you need to know, like, you don't need to check out. You don't need to uh, get angry. You don't need to stop listening now and think, well, that's just the church. I mean, they're oppressive to women. No, 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 that couldn't be further from the truth. You need to understand a biblical idea of submission. So we'll get more into it later. But for now, let's move on to the husbands. Look at verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives. It's interesting because it's been talking about how wives should submit it doesn't move forward in verse 25 and say, now make sure she submits. Right? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, now make sure you lord over her. What does it say? Look at the text with me. It says, husbands, love your wives. 
that the idea of male headship, of male leadership, that it's loving, sacrificial leadership. And listen, we got to reframe leadership for us as a, as a country, as a church, because sometimes we get off in this. I know for me, I went to seminary before I got into the ministry, and there were several guys that I was in seminary with who all wanted to go work at a church and lead in the church. And some of those guys didn't do that. They ended up selling insurance or doing something else. It didn't really work out for them. And, and they've come to me in, in the last several years. It's been a while since I've been in that stage in seminary. And they've come to me in the years since and said things like, man, Tim, you have arrived. I, wow, you planted a church. Like, you're a lead pastor now. Like, how does that feel? And, and I just say to them, like, you've never done ministry. Because it never feels like that. I never wake up thinking, I have arrived. I mean, look at this. I mean, who doesn't want this life? I mean, I, I never think that. And it's not because it's bad. It's because in true leadership, in biblical leadership, there is incredible weight. Maybe some of you, you've led in your company, and you know if you really lead, there's incredible weight. There is responsibility. There's servanthood, and there's stewardship. Not just in the church, in marriage. That anybody who leads biblically, it's loving and sacrificial. We get our cues from Jesus in this. Jesus was the most influential, the strongest leader in history. And yet, what does Jesus do with the disciples? He washes their feet. He serves. Jesus redefines leadership. You need to know, men, this is our goal in leadership. It's servanthood. It's stewardship. If you don't feel weight in that, if your view, when you hear about male headship, you get really excited and you start picturing yourself sitting in the recliner telling your wife to bring you things while you watch the game, you're off the rails, right? Not only does that not work functionally, like your wife is not going to like that, it doesn't work biblically that leadership is loving, it's sacrificial, it's servanthood, it's stewardship. You should feel some weight with that, husbands. You should feel some weight. We should go to Jesus in our need as leaders. And Paul lays out three key roles for the husband, for the leader in this passage. And I want you to look at it with me. Just three words, love, sanctify, and nourish or cherish. Those are the three things we're going to walk through just briefly here. The first thing is, is love, verse 25. That word love is agape in the original language. It's this selfless, sacrificial, committed love. One commentator said it's total self-commitment to the person. And so love is about commitment. So there's a guy named Charlie Pride. Anybody know Charlie Pride? Yeah, we got some country music fans in here. It's okay. We still love you. You can like country music. We've got a long way to heaven, so the sanctification process takes a while, right? Charlie Pride, a famous country music singer, said this. He was married a, a long time to his wife. He said, when asked why, love it. I love country music, actually. He said, the main reason that we've been married so long, get this, is that neither of us has died. Now, man, just a little free, this is a freebie, right? A free tip here for you. If somebody asks you, like, you've been married to your wife a long time. Like, how do you guys do this? And, and your response, the best response you can come up with is, well, she hasn't died yet. <laughs> you need to think of something else, right? If that's your first response that comes to your head, you need to push that to the side, and you need to think of something better, right? But there is a sense of commitment in marriage, Right? And that's, that's what he's getting at, and that's what we should get at, that agape love is loyal love. It's committed love. It's covenantal love. Again, it represents how Jesus has loved us. That's what we see in these, in these verses, verse 25 and 29, that, that Jesus has loved the church this way, that this is how men, husbands, we lead and love this way. And so we have to think about how does Jesus love did he, does he love only when we are lovely? Does he love only when we are kind? No. I mean, you just look at the whole of Scripture. Throughout Scripture, throughout history, what we have seen literally as Jesus came, people crucified him. They didn't love him. People weren't kind to him. They were cruel to him. 
People have denied Jesus. They've abandoned Jesus. Maybe even some of you in this room, there are days when you reject Jesus. You say, I want to go my own way. You're at least indifferent to Jesus. You know what he's called you to do, but you're like, I, I don't know, Jesus. Maybe I have a better plan. That This is how we respond to Jesus, but Jesus comes anyway. He comes and he doesn't just nonchalantly say some good things or talk about some good ideas. No, he gives his very life. He loves the unlovable. He doesn't love us because we're lovely. He loves us because he's making us lovely. And that husbands, this is the way we love and we lead our wives. It's about commitment. That on your wife's best day and on her worst day, you love. In sickness and in health. That's not something you just say in a wedding vow. That's something you live for the rest of your life. That it is commitment. That it is till death do you part. That's what love is. It's commitment. It's also action. Verse 25. That love is, is action. We, we talk about, you've heard it a lot, love moves. This is where we get that from. John 3.16, help me out with this. For God so loved the world, he what? He gave. Love is demonstrated in action. That you love like Christ. You, you give yourself. And so a, a practical example of this is if my wife asked me to take out the trash, which, ha which happens, right, on occasion that happens. If my wife asked me to do something like that, I'm sitting in the recliner stuffing my face. And, and I stay seated as she asked me to do this. And I say, you know what, baby, I don't know if I'll get to that, but... I just want to let you know, I love you. Like, baby, I just, I just want to take this moment to say, like, I really love you. How loved do you think my wife would feel in that moment? Yeah, you're shaking your heads. Not very. You're like, Tim, you don't do that, really. No, I, I try not to. <laughs> uh, what's, what's love in that moment? What's the most loving thing I can do in that moment? Take the trash out. Replace the bag. I put the, the nice scentsies out so it smells good in the house. Ask her if I can do something else. Listen, love is, is action. You need to tell your wife you love her. You need to tell her that a lot. But it needs to be followed up quickly with, with action. That love is, is listening. And, men, we need to work on this. It's not nodding your head as you watch SportsCenter. That's not listening. Right, you want to listen with your whole face. Right, you want to listen with your eyes. You want to listen with your heart. You want to listen with your schedule. And so as your wife is having a, a tough day, you want, to, you want to take the kids and say, hey, you go hang out with this encouraging friend. You go have a cup of coffee. You go work out. Whatever's going to help you thrive and flourish, that that is love, that it's active, that we need to take those those steps, we need to think about husbands. You need to think about what's one way you can do that today, at lunch, this afternoon, this week. What's one way you can show this love that is, that is active, that we love by giving our attention, our affection, and our schedule? The second thing is, is this word sanctify that we see in this passage, verse 26. Sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 28, that she might be holy. Sanctification means to be holy, that the Holy Spirit of God, if you know Jesus, over time, in a process, he's making you holy, he's shaping you through all your behavior, through all your reading of scripture, through all your community, he's making you holy. And husbands, you're charged to do this with your wife, that you wash her with the word. Listen, to do that, you need to know the word. If you think about that challenge to wash your wife with the water of the word, and that scares you because you think, I, I'm not even washing myself with this. I don't even take this out to look at it, except when I dust it off to come to church. Listen, first, husbands, you need to have a regular rhythm where you're learning God's word, where you're in God's word, that you're pointing her to that. Listen, she's not the one that should be dragging you to church. She's not the one convincing you like, hey, the Cardinals play later today. We can go to church today. No, no, that's not happening. You're the one who's taking the lead the night before and say, hey, babe, we're going to go to church tomorrow. 
let's get the kids' clothes ready. Let's plan to do something after church that, husbands, you're the one who's taking initiative. You're leading out in that to help sanctify, to help wash with the water of the word, to expose her to scripture. Listen, there are so many things in our culture, aren't there, that aren't biblical, that aren't uh, uplifting, that aren't godly for the woman, that they struggle with. You are the one who's charged with pointing her to the truth that's in here that takes her to church, that says, hey, maybe you can meet with somebody and go through this Ephesian study guide. I'll I'll watch the kids while you go do that. That you're washing her with the water of the word, that you make her look more beautiful because of the way you love her. And number three talks about that, that we nourish and cherish our wives. Verses 28 and 29, that you love like you love your own body. You nourish, you cherish, you take care of, you provide for, you comfort that this is the call of the husband, that it's a servanthood, it's a stewardship. If you feel some weight right now, men, that's a good thing because this is going to point you to Jesus. If you sit back and you think leadership is, I'm going to sit in my chair and direct and point, this needs to reframe the conversation of, of leadership and loving leadership. And listen, women, some of you who aren't married yet, this is the guy you're looking for. He doesn't have to check every box. He doesn't have to check uh, sexual chemistry, uh, romantic attraction. Those things matter. But you can figure those things out. What you can't figure out is a a love, a sanctification, a nourishing, a cherishing. That you need to look for those boxes. You need to make sure if you're looking for a guy, if a guy's trying to, to date you, these are the boxes you're trying to check or you don't need to date him. If he's not trending in this direction, you don't need to, to date him. Men, if, if you're thinking about how to pursue a, a girl, this is the type of man you want to be. Husbands, as you're thinking, how do I grow as a husband to make my wife more lovely, to, to connect with her? This is the kind of man you want to be. Notice it says nothing about your eloquence. It says nothing about debating theological terms. Like, love does mean, is the word agape in the original language. It says nothing about you needing to know Greek to love your wife. That's not maturity that this is, that you love, you sanctify, you nourish, you cherish, you sacrifice for your wife, and that we go to Jesus, that this is the way he has loved us, that he empowers us to love like this. Men, you are equipped with everything you need to love like this. Don't buy the lie that you can't do this. That even in your weakness, God makes you strong. That you can love like this and lead like this. And when we do that, it leads to to oneness. Paul moves from roles to oneness. Verse 31, look at that verse. He quotes Genesis 2, talking about two becoming one flesh. This is a union, a covenant like Christ and the church. It's the design from the beginning. Genesis 2. That marriage is about oneness. And that oneness is, is spiritual. It's growing in Christ together. It's physical, like we talked about last week. It is intimacy and sex. It's financial. So, listen, if you're married, you're in union together, you're one. What that means is it's no longer your money and my money. Husbands, if you have a wife that stays at home, you don't rub that in her face and say, well, who makes the money around here? Did you ask me before you could buy that? It's our money. There's no hidden bank accounts. You're one financially. You're one relationally. You cultivate friendship with one another. You connect with one another. And listen, I know some of you hear this idea of oneness, and you're thinking, well, we've tried that. It doesn't look like that. We've tried that, but it's not getting there. And we've been married years. What, What I would ask is, how hard have you tried? How long have you tried? Because if you think back to your wedding day, most likely a lot of you in this room prepared for that wedding day that's over in a few minutes. You prepared for that day for six months to nine months. Like how much harder should you work? How much more effort should go into a marriage that lasts a lifetime? It's not an easy thing. He talks about, in verse 33, he sums it up, love and respect. That's a process over time. And so I would ask, how long have you been trying? 
have you tried six months to nine months? Have you tried for a couple years? Listen, marriage lasts a lifetime. You need to put in the effort. You need to read a book, have a conversation, buy her flowers, get creative, get a babysitter. Read something that stirs your heart of of creative ways to love and lead your your spouse. Wives, that you would cultivate that as well, that it takes effort. It's difficult. You think about your relationship with God. It's the same way. Like, I think all of us would, would agree in here, no matter what place you are in spiritually, is that your relationship with God is a process over time, that at times it's difficult. All the scripture reading, all the coming to church and loading up the kids and making that happen, all the community, sometimes it gets messy, we have conflict with one another. Sometimes it's a long process of sanctification in your relationship vertically with God. And listen, in that relationship, one of you is perfect. How much harder do you think it's going to be when two sinful, broken people get together and you you want to become one relationally, financially, spiritually, and physically? It's going to take some work. It's going to take some time. Don't give up. Don't give up. You want to think about today, how can we invest that time? Because this is how God has designed it. Uh, Some of what bleeds into us about that is we always talk about finding the right person to marry Maybe some of you in here are divorced and you regret that you married the wrong person. Maybe some of you don't raise a hand, but you've quietly wondered, did I marry the right person? Did I marry the wrong person? Should have been somebody else. Like, don't acknowledge that. But some of you have quietly wondered that on your worst days in your your marriage. I think this will help you. Duke University has an ethics professor named Stanley uh, Howers. I can't say his last name. He said this, he said, we always marry the wrong person. We always marry the wrong person. Now, I don't know if he's a Christian, but what he was talking about was compatibility, that no two people are exactly compatible. And listen, this will scare you, college students, that even if you think they are when you get married, they change, right? And they're not always compatible, but biblically, we know it goes even further than that, right? That you're taking two people who are broken in sin and you're bringing them together as one. That you never marry the right person. <laughs> no, you, you, you serve the right God. You trust in the, the right Savior. And he makes these two broken people one. That's our only hope in, in marriage. And then when we get that, when we get what it's talking about in Ephesians, this glorious grace that changes our identity, that we're now adopted into the family of God, that when Jesus When God sees you, he sees Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, even when you're not doing righteousness, that God is satisfied with you because you're now in Jesus, that's your new identity, that that shapes your new activity, and it does so in marriage. And so listen, the gospel should inform your marriage. It should inform your your oneness, that you're able to look at what Jesus did for the church, that the blood of Christ bought us as the bride of Christ, to make us one with him vertically, and that, that extends to your relationship with your spouse horizontally. That when you understand that's your identity vertically, you are freed up to love your spouse. Why? Because that's how Jesus has loved you. You're freed up to forgive your spouse, even when she doesn't always repent the way you want to, even when he doesn't always say the right words. You're free now in Christ to forgive them because why? Your identity is not in whether they forgive you or not. It's in Christ. He's already forgiven you for all of sin, past, present, and future, that this shapes our oneness and that it can be a beautiful thing. And so what does that look like? What does that look like? This passage paints us a a picture of delighting in this, of displaying this to others, that marriage is mission, that when we get a hold of this, not that we're doing it perfectly, but when we have marriages that are one like this, that our family members who don't know God, that our neighbors and our coworkers who, who don't want to have anything with Jesus, when they see you walk in a marriage like this, they want to ask why. And we don't say it's because the other person hasn't died. Right? No, what do we say? And the only way this is possible five years into marriage, 10 years in, 50 years, is because of Jesus Christ. This is how he has loved me, and so this is how we love one another. 
So that's what it can look like. That's the picture Paul paints. I'm going to invite my wife up now. We're going to talk more uh, in detail of what this looks like for us. Would you guys welcome her, her on stage with me? I think we might have some chairs, but for now, we'll just, we'll just stand up, all right? Is that all right with you? Um, so, Jay, I want you to talk about uh, submission. We've been married 10 years, have three kids. Um, what does, when you read that idea of submission, what does that look like for you? Uh, you should have a microphone, Chris. We, can we, no? Yeah, maybe. All right. Give it up for Zach. Look at him running down the stairs. Thanks, Zach. So what does that idea of submission look like for you? So um, so I don't have that verse up on my mirror, just FYI, so just so you know. Um, but I would say it's definitely something just that needs to, we need to be able to go to Scripture to talk about that and to have a real understanding of what that means because our culture definitely distorts it um, of what that means. Um, so um, I would say there's times that it's easy um, in submission, and there's times that it's hard. And um, there's subtle things of just um, decisions that we make for our family, um, our schedule, parenting, uh, things like that. And then there's bigger decisions of what we want to be about as a couple or um, as a family, um, buying a house, um, even moving to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and so there's even an example of... Um, so after our first year here in Arizona, um, Tim one day was like, hey, um, we need to move to, to central Phoenix. We lived in Ahwatukee at the time. And um, my first thought was just like, no, like we're not moving. We've already had too many transitions. Like we have a kid in school. Um, I know where the grocery store is. I know where to get the oil change. You know, like we're not transitioning anymore. Um, and then my second response was pr to pray. And so um, I just prayed that the Lord would just yield my spirit, um, that I would trust his leadership and the leadership that, um, that he had given Tim in our, in our family, in our marriage. And so, um, so I was like, okay, well, let's see um, how God's leading us and um, guiding us in this and guiding Tim. And so, so we drove to Central Phoenix, and um, it was, I mean, it was just so clear. Like, they have a great school system where in central Phoenix, and um, it was just a good fit, and Tim knew, like, God was leading him in that way, and um, and for me just to come alongside him and trust him in that, and trust that God had designed marriage to be that way, to be his helper, and to come alongside him and trust him in that, and um, just knowing that God had created us equally, and you know, in Genesis, like Tim had mentioned before, you know, he created us equal, both image bearers, um, just with different roles, like it talks about in Ephesians. And so um, really just resting in that. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use my brain. I'm going to use my heart. Um, I'm going to ask the Spirit to lead me and to guide me and to give me understanding as, um, you know, Tim is making decisions and bringing things before me. I'm not just going to, you know, buck up and just say, no, like we're not doing that. But just really understanding that God has a design for marriage of uh, Christ loving the church and him loving um, loving me in that way and just um, really just yielding my spirit in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, it was a process really. I mean, even that example she gave really, when we think about that example, there were lots of times I was like giving hints of moving to central Phoenix and like, you know, Nilo, she would be fine adjusting to another school. Like I'm sure there's some good ones. It was a long time. And, and there was a lot of times where you were just like, Nope, that's not happening. Or, or she would change the subject. She just didn't want to do that for, for valid reasons. And I would listen to that as her husband, and I would wrestle with that. Uh, but she did. She got to a point where she was open. Uh, wise, maybe there's been times in your life where you're just like, I don't want to do that. Again, not if it's sinful, but if, it, if it's something else, would you just be open? Just to explore that possibility that that's what submission looks like sometimes. And it was a process. It took us a long time. To, to settle on that, uh, but we did. And honestly, if she had said, hey, hey Tim, I, um, I can't do this. Like, if we do this, this is going to be detrimental to our family, that as the loving, sacrificial husband that I would have needed to at that point said, okay, we're not going to do that then uh, because I am going to, to love you as I love my own body. I'm going to nourish you and nourish our family. And so that's just, that's just one example, but um, it's a process, right? And so it's been yeah. so for you. Yeah, and, and you and definitely did. I mean, he didn't come to me. It was just like, this is what we're doing, and that's it. But it was very much like, it was definitely a decision we made together. Yeah. 
Um, let's talk general marriage. Uh, the passage talks about two becoming one. What does that look like in real life? Because I think as, as people see that, as they wrestle with that, it's, it's like, well, maybe you guys have it figured out because you're, you're a pastor and a wife. Uh, let's talk about how we don't have that figured out. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> what does that look like for us? Um, I mean, I think it's a lot. There's so much to it, just like a lot of what Tim had talked about this morning. Um, but I would say it is really beautiful because it is God's design um, for marriage, um, for two to become one. And so there's beauty in seeing God's desire and design. Um, but then it's also just really messy because it's we're all sinful beings. And so we're in this place of like, um, what is it, already? Already, not yet. Yeah, already, not yet. So we're in this place of like, we've already experienced God's grace and salvation and his love, but we're in the not yet place where we're not with God, with Jesus yet. And so we're in this middle place of just brokenness and dealing with sin and sorrow and sadness. And so we're kind of in this middle place. But I do think um, there are things of just being able to be in a place of understanding one another. And so just knowing that God created you both differently. And so being able to um, just understand where you're each coming from, um, knowing it's a commitment. And so um, really sticking to that, the commitment part. Um, that you've, you're in a covenant and that you um, are together. Yeah. And I think, too, that just like uh, submission is a process, oneness is a process, that if you think about what we described of two broken people coming together relationally, financially, spiritually, physically, that takes a long time, right? That you don't get there day one, right? And, and it looks different for different people and in different stages of life. I mean, I think about when we dated, I mean, we would go play tennis, We'd play tennis, and we would just talk to each other for like three hours. It was so romantic. Now, newsflash, we have three kids. We don't do that. I don't remember the last time I picked up a tennis racket. Right? I don't remember the last time we just talked specifically with our kids for three hours face-to-face. It doesn't always happen. So now it looks different. How does yeah. it look now for well, us? Well, so now, because we do have three kids, so we have to be highly intentional about it. And so uh, we, like, set up a babysitter, like, in advance. We plan out where we're going to go, what we're going to do. Um, and that's just for date nights. And even just the day-to-day, I mean, we've got, they're all really little, so they're always, you know, needing help with things and things like that. So it's just a lot of, you know, time and energy. So even in the evenings, kids go down. You know, we try to, like, do away with our phones and social media um, and things like that, and just really try to connect. We'll have, like, dessert together or something like that. To, just to stay on the same page, I think communication is is really key, just to know, you know, where's your heart right now? What is God teaching you? Um, what is God teaching me? What are some good things, hard things in your day-to-day life if you guys aren't together all the time? Um, That's good. Yeah, I know some of you guys have been married for a long time. Maybe your kids are out. Well, it looks different for us now, and, and we've kind of already done the, the dating your spouse, that we don't really do that anymore. Listen, it may look different for you. You need to find a way to cultivate that with your spouse. Men, this is where you, you lead out in that. Uh, and so there's, there's times, honestly, where what I do for a living, I talk to a lot of people. I don't always want to come home and talk to my wife, but I have to, I have to get there, and I don't always do it, men. But, but I have to pray and come back to that, like, listen with the whole face. Like, listen with my schedule. We have to schedule a babysitter. Uh, even if you have been married a long time, like, what does that look like for you? If you have kids, what does this look like for you? You need to ask that question. I know some of us are, are young parents, and, and you just say, well, we, we just can't do that in this stage of life. No. Uh, you need to schedule it. You need to find a babysitter. One of the best gifts you can give to your kids, we're going to talk about parenting next week. One of the best gifts you can give to your kids is to date your spouse. They see that. They see that interaction. They learn that this is how, this is how a mommy and daddy love one another. This is what, as a, as a daughter, this is what I need to be shooting for later on in life, like 35, 40 years old, like my daughter, <laughs> like one day. They, they need to see that picture. Some of the best uh, parenting you can do is to, to, to love your spouse. So, so make that happen. I think uh, we talked about this last night, that a lot of this comes with just understanding that, that typically in marriage, we do marriage counseling from time to time, premarital counseling. And one of the things we always do is we do a, a strengths finder test. We, you can do it differently, but we, we do something to see, like, what are your strengths? 
Because typically what we do when you've been married for a while, specifically we do this, you, you just find others' weakness, right? You just see the weaknesses in your spouse. And maybe it's something that is actually a strength. Like your, your husband is really good with information and research, and, and you don't see that as a strength to help you flourish. You see that as a know-it-all. But how can you reframe that with understanding to see, hey, maybe God wired him for this. Maybe sometimes it is annoying, but maybe sometimes it can be helpful that you wouldn't just see weaknesses, you would see, you would see strengths. And there would be understanding of how we're wired, how we can connect in the parenting process. And so we're going to do this. We can't cover it all. My mic keeps going out, and so we're not going to cover it all. Uh, but we do want to pray. We want to pray for you. Jay is going to pray for our, our wives and our, our women. And then I'm just going to close this in prayer. I would say this before we do that. Um, if you're not a Christian this morning, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, you need to know that uh, these are just symptoms, not the source of your problem. If you're thinking, I have a hard marriage or I have hard relationships, they don't look like what the Bible says. You need to know you don't need a better spouse. You need a perfect Savior. That you need to talk to Jesus. You need to trust in him. He is our only hope in marriage. That's our testimony. That's any couple's testimony here this morning. So I would encourage you, even as we pray, uh, that you would pray for yourself and you would trust Jesus for the first time. Uh, let's pray for our couples. You pray for our wives and women, and I'll close this in prayer. Okay. Um, God, I just I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you. I'm um, just studying your word and just uh, biblically what submission is. And I know um, there's women in here that have not experienced that in a biblical way, Lord. And I just pray for those women specifically, that you would just meet them where they're at, um, that you would know that they are your daughter and that you love them and you um, desire for them to, to know what real love is, and that's your love. And we just ask, God, that you would protect their hearts and that you would point them to you. And um, I just pray that our hearts uh, would be softened towards your word. Um, that we would understand that submission is a beautiful picture of Christ loving the church. And, um, God, that you've made us equal. God, we are co-heirs of your grace. Um, and we just thank you for that. And I just pray um, that our hearts would just be changed this morning, that we would desire to be just a helper to our husbands and knowing, God, that you've given us a brain and, and thoughts and um, you've made us as strong women, Lori, but we you ask us to also just come along our husband's leadership and to encourage them and to um, know that um, this is your design and um, your desire for um, for marriage and that we would just walk confidently in that and boldly in that. And um, I thank you for this time. It's time that we pray. Father, I just pray for all, all the men, all, all our couples, all our singles, and just really everybody in this church. God, I pray that, that, that what we see in Scripture God, you would illuminate that to our hearts, uh, that this morning we wouldn't just uh, say, like, well, I think or I disagree or I don't really like that. But, God, we would just soften our hearts to be open to, to what you might call us to do and to be in marriage and in our singleness. Um, whatever the case may be, God, that we would soften our hearts and we would do that as we, as we respond. God, I pray for a, a group of men who would step up and say, I'm going to lovingly, sacrificially lead. And, God, that we would set the tone for that as men, that we would look to you for that. The only way we can do that is through Jesus. And so we thank you for him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.